I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Step Over podcast, uh, our first in-season pod of this season that has just started. Uh, I am Jim. With me as always is Max Parappa, the Rappaport. Max, how's it going? I'm doing pretty great, Jim. Cool. I've been waiting to use that pun for like three weeks. I kept forgetting to do it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a good one, but I used it anyway. Uh, so we are now one full uh, week of uh days into the game not full week of games necessarily because season started on tuesday um we have three games under the belt two and one uh a very 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 close uh barely win last night uh we were recording this on sunday night uh that in a game that um definitely should have been a lot easier than it was but uh it was a one point win at the very end uh, played most of the game, I think all but seven minutes without Ben Simmons, who uh, did not come back due to what is being called back tightness or back soreness. Uh, we should know uh, more about that tomorrow. In fact, you probably know about it already by the time you're listening to this, so we won't dwell on that too much uh, because we'll either jinx it or sound like morons. Um, but on the first three games, Max, um, what are what is? Let me, let me ask you this. What has stood out to you? the most in a good way and a bad way. I think probably what stood out to me the most in a good way is just how dominant Embiid and Simmons are. Yeah. Um, and how much I think, I don't know, we talked about it a lot going into the season, but just how much everything else kind of melts away when mm-hmm. you watch those two and you just see how, just how good they are so early in their careers. And I, I think it makes you feel a lot better. Um, I don't know. It's like tough after that first Celtics game. Um, I think it really drives home that narrative that we've talked about and other people have talked about. And I think it's just there, um, especially since the last playoff series of like, man, the Celtics are in a really good position. And, um, you know, it's disappointing looking at where this in a way, looking at where the Sixers are and and kind of imagining how they're going to eventually overcome them and and battle with them for the next half decade, decade. but I think then you you realize how good Embiid and Simmons are and um, everything else becomes less important. And you kind of feel more confident that regardless of what happens with Fultz, what happens in free agency, uh, the Kings pick, whatever else, like that they, as long as they have those two, can figure the other things out and be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say probably the, the bad thing uh, coming away from these games is just like, I, I felt a little bit less like this. Um, maybe the last game and a half, but certainly the Celtics game and a lot of the second game of the year felt like, I don't know, Sarich and Covington looked very similar uh, to the way they did last year. Uh, Both struggled a lot. I think obviously Fultz in the first game and a half really struggled. Um, And I think there was a feeling of like, man, is this going to be basically like Embiid Simmons? And uh, 
JJ being the only guys who play up to the level we expected yeah. or who uh, take a step forward slash are where you where you want them to be mm-hmm. and expected them to be. Uh, I think early on, I had a little bit of like, oh my God, is this going to be a situation where we, we really assumed way too much and we're further back than we thought we were. Yeah, I mean, there's been the Celtics game. I, I think that was probably the worst possible matchup uh, in a way to for this team to start with because they just got so, you know, meticulously dismantled in the playoffs essentially and it looked like you know more of the same uh but in a way maybe that was good because you could take a look at your weaknesses on full bright glaring display and you go from there um i didn't see every second of the game last night but there was a lot that i didn't like about it um part of that being um just the fact that you you squeaked out that win against orlando um, who shot, I don't know, like 55% from three, I think. Uh, they were, yeah, they were 16 for 29 from three, uh, which is not what you want to do out of a team. Uh, Evan Fournier was six for 10. Vucevic was four for four. Um, and the fact that they essentially needed Joel Embiid and um, JJ Redick to play lights out basketball to barely win, right? So you had JJ shooting an 8 for 13 from 3, 10 for 20 from the floor, Embiid 3 for 5 from 3, 13 for 26 from the floor, and they won by 1. Uh, because Ben Simmons played just shy of 8 minutes. Uh, Covington and Dario had like decent numbers by the end of the game, but like, actually Covington had solid, but I mean, Dario was 4 for 12 from the floor. Um, he always starts slow, but you know, Shamet was, showed he was mortal. He didn't hit a shot. Uh, and it's just it shows that without Ben Simmons, or just like you know, if if someone's having an off night or whatever, at this point, uh, before Dario finds his you know first week some legs under him and starts playing better, with Fultz in the current state that he's in, um, this team does look like it's taken it has taken a step back. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case all season. I think they'll find that rhythm and they'll they'll be able to move forward, but a lot of that depends on night in and night out what Markel Fultz is and what what version of Markel Fultz you get. Uh, So far on the year, he's shooting 33.3 from the floor and from three, uh, averaging 8.3 points, 4.7 assists a game. Um, You need much more than that out of him. And I know, I mean, I'm giving him, I'm being patient, and I I still think that he's going to be, you know, if if not the Markel Fultz that you believed in and you prayed for and you hoped for when you drafted him, but he's going to be a functional, contributing NBA player. But right now, that's just not the case. When you when you look at these games and you see him, you know, kind of, I'll say this: there's there's a lot of talk about how you know how he's crazy confident and he feels great and he's feeling confident and then that, but it doesn't translate, right? Am I am I crazy in thinking that like? There's all this talk about how he has this swagger and this confidence and it's great to have his confidence back, but he doesn't look confident on the floor. Here's what I'll say. I think certainly in the Boston game, and I thought in the first half of the Chicago game, um, he it more so than like missing shots or um, turning the ball over or any of that stuff just didn't look like a, an NBA player. Just looked like he did not want to be out there, didn't want the ball to come to him. Um, had a few opportunities for open shots they didn't take, drove into the lane on three defenders instead of taking open jumpers. Uh, I will say I thought I thought in the Orlando game, um, 
partially out of necessity because of the Simmons injury and also the second half, especially the fourth quarter of the Chicago game. Um, I thought it shifted in a way where like he still wasn't making shots at the clip you want. Um, he still didn't look like the guy you want him to be, but it was like, okay, this is an NBA player. Like right. this yeah. is a normal basketball player who just is young and missing shots and that's fine. And I'm okay with that. I'm fine with, with them bringing faults along slowly and, and kind of working through the mistakes and working through the cold shooting and whatever. I'm not okay with them doing that if he's not going to take the shots. Right. So for me, I felt like, you know, the whole swagger thing, like I saw more of that in the last game, especially um, to the point where like, you know, I, I didn't notice it. In the first game and a half, I constantly, and probably because I was paying closer attention to him than anyone else on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just felt like he was different than Landry, than putting Landry Shamit out there. Like Landry Shamit has shot poorly, but he's taken the shots and gotten into spots and seems like he wants the ball. Yeah. Um, And if you're going to have Markel Fultz starting and in a position where he doesn't like, isn't doing that and is kind of avoiding that um, I think he's pretty much unplayable, but I, I thought the positive was, I think he's progressed in each of the games, especially in this last game, to where I feel like that's not really the case. Right. Uh, to your point about the shooting, uh, I feel like we were all very impressed with Landry Shamet when he went, like, we went four for seven in the second game of the year. Uh, he's coming out, he's playing, you know, almost 30 minutes uh, he, twice. He's been over 20 minutes every other game. Uh, so, yeah, like 24, 20, 29 or something like that. Um, him and Fultz have the same three point percentage. But Landry is attempting four a game and Fultz is attempting one. Uh, so that just shows you like you want. I would love for Marco Fultz <clears throat> to have the fire away from distance confidence that Landry Shaman currently has. You know. They're hitting at the same percentage. Yeah. You know, it's it's not, you know, I, I would love to see Fultz be firing away four a game instead of one. Um, and we'll see, you know, time will tell if that's going to be the case. Um, but yeah, it's. uh. It still feels like the jury is very much out. I don't know when the re- the verdict will be in necessarily, uh, but I mean, in the, th- in the three games we've gotten essentially three different versions of Markel Fultz, and you can even break it down further from that. In those three games, we've probably seen six or seven different versions of Markel Fultz, right? Um, so I'm not sure how much stock to really put in this so far, but you know, it doesn't look great as it is right now. Um, and speaking of, you know, the faults and seeing what we're going early in the season, I mean, obviously, very, very, very small sample size alert. Um, but Markel Fultz is now part of the starting lineup. Uh, so the roster, the starting five from last year, which was uh, Ben Simmons, uh, J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and Joel Embiid, which we have said many times, and I'm sure you all know, is one of the most successful, statistically, <clears throat> one of the most successful starting fives in the league, one of the most successful five-man lineups in the league. Um, and then, then, then now, the starting five being Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Joel Embiid. So, again, crazy small sample size alert. Um, the net rating for last year's starting five is currently 22. Uh, offensive rating of 129. Defensive rating just shy of 107. Uh, and the net rating for the new starting lineup is negative 43.2 with an offensive rating of 91.9 and a defensive rating of 135. Again, crazy small sample size. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. How many minutes for both of those, if you have it in front of you? Combined less than 30 between the both lineups. So it's very, 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 okay. very, very 
The very small, very small yeah, sample. 17 size. minutes for the starting line from this year, 13 from last year. But yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> assist to turnover ratio is less than, assist percentage is less than, uh, rebound percentages are well down from both lineup to lineup. Um, every single statistic category is worse from the new starting lineup versus the old starting lineup. Again, crazy small sample size. But yeah, I mean, that's what you're dealing with right now. And I think there's going to be a point I'm fine with them rolling this. And essentially what's, what this is looking like, too, is that the quote-unquote new starting lineup with Markel Fultz in it starts the game. And then the quote-unquote old starting lineup is going to be starting second halves most of the time, it seems like. you know, Or Ben Simmons isn't, it doesn't come out and start in the second half because of you know, how many minutes played in the first half or whatever. But So that starting lineup kind of reads like uh, you know being a leadoff hitter. It's like, yeah, you're... "Quote unquote leadoff hitter, but you only really lead off once, uh, so it, you know it might not end up being their most used lineup on the year, even though it's starting every game with it. But uh, the the early 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 returns are not fantastic on it. I guess I'm I'm totally cool with them continuing to start Fultz. Um, I, I I'm encouraged, I guess, by what I saw in the last game with Simmons not playing and and Fultz getting some extended run, like just handling the ball more. Um, I just I'm still kind of under the impression that it's fine if you start him. Like I, I, I kind of understand that for a few different reasons, but I just think they need to maximize the amount of time that Fultz is playing, not with Ben Simmons uh, for now. And I think eventually, obviously the point is you want to get to, you, the whole reason you want to start him is because um, the way that, that, that he is going to be successful with the Sixers by playing with Ben Simmons. I just think you can do that in uh, smaller increments. You know, like you can you can maximize more time that he's on the floor with TJ McConnell or maybe where he's not on the floor with TJ at all. And it's he's running the show and you have JJ Redick alongside him or Landry Shamit. Um, and you saw that a little bit in the last game out of necessity. And I thought that worked a lot better. Like it just looks way better when it was like Markel Fultz, JJ Redick, mm-hmm. Landry Shamit, Covington or Sharich and then Embiid. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, he's played 79 minutes so far this season. Guess how many of those were on the floor with Ben Simmons? Um, it's gonna be. Is it lower than than I'm feeling like it is? I don't know what you're feeling, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 25, 45, 45. That's high. That's 45. Yes. When you said it, I was expecting More it to be half. low, especially because he just played an no. entire game with basically without Ben Simmons. Yeah, 45 of his 79 minutes have been on the floor with Ben Simmons. Yep. Yeah. I'd be curious if you took out the last game just because that's such an outlier without Simmons. Um, that would, you'd assume that would mean that he's playing close to maybe like 40 minutes over two games because he only played like five minutes with them last game. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah, that's not know, great. Like, most, I don't love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not super psyched about it, but we are psyched about Joel Embiid, everybody. Okay. Let's move on to, let's move on to the positive. Yeah. Hey everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. 
and together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed yeah dude i i just i um i'm i'm not surprised um i think we both we both picked his numbers to be about where they are right now it's like 28 10 and 3 um when we were doing our preseason uh preview Mm -hmm. but man he is just like just watching it i guess i guess when you say 28 and 10 uh it the number feels different than actually like seeing it happen. It's yeah. just like, he's so much more dominant than I could have possibly imagined um, yeah. so quickly. I just like, I'm in awe really of, of how good he's been this year. Yeah. And again, super small th- three, three games into the season. Um, but surprisingly in those three games, maybe not so surprisingly. Um, yeah. If, if the season carries on with these exact projections, like it just takes the first three games and just projects them out for the rest of the year. He'd end up with his lowest usage rate of his career so far, a measly thirty-two percent. I wonder how that's how that's possible. Maybe because of the lack of turnovers. I don't know. Maybe, but I think it's also because there's just it more. Feels like he's putting up a lot of shots, but yes, yeah, he's putting up. Let's see here. Per hundred possessions, he's putting up more than he has in his career uh, so far. Per, per thirty-six, way higher. Let me go back to the per games. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far, uh, in his rookie year in the 31 games he played, he averaged attempting 13.8 field goals. Uh, last year it was 16.8. So far this year, it's 20.3. And attempting four threes a game yeah. in there as well. Um, but yeah, there's turnovers. We're 3.8, uh, first year, 3.7 last year, and only 2.3 so far this year. So that's where, that's where the, the percentage comes down. And, you know, that's probably going to come up. Uh, I can't imagine that he's just all of a sudden doesn't turn over turn the ball over because even when he when he does turn the ball over, um, I think the, the best way to say this it's um, not that they're like dumb mistakes, but like when he turns the ball over, it was it's like usually very plainly his fault. <laughs> you know, it's not like oh someone pickpocketed me. Oh great steal though. <laughs> like he either throws it out of bounds directly into the other player's hands or just gets double teamed in panic. So like. When the turnover is like, it, it's like, it, it's a turnover that counts, you know? So that number will come back up a little bit. You hope it stays a little bit lower. But yeah, so I can't see, I don't know. Do you think they'll go this entire season where Embiid's out there attempting, you know, 18 shots a game? I think they should. That was kind of, that kind of factored into all our projections when we were like going through the over-unders the whole year is we just assumed that they were going to yeah. like increase his load because why not? I mean, he, he's physically capable of at this point. He has better endurance, which I think that's maybe been the, the most impressive thing is yeah. um, 
there hasn't been, I can't think of a moment in the first few games and they have been judicious. I mean, they're playing him 35 minutes a game, but they've been judicious. Like in the last game, they, they took him out for like a three or four minutes in, in the fourth quarter, just to get him ready for the end, even though it was a close game. Like, uh, but despite that, I, I feel like there hasn't been a moment that I can think of where he's looked gassed. And I thought last year that was fairly frequent that he would be out there and you kind of have to lean on him at the end of games because he's your best player, but he just looked tired and just wasn't yeah. effective and turned the ball over a lot. And I haven't seen that. And maybe that's part of why the turnovers are lower too, um, is that he's just more consistent throughout the course of the game. But I think they should do that. I think they, I think they should really ride him. Um, because he, he sets up so much for other, especially if he's going to pass out of double teams the way he has so far and not force it. Um, I think he's he's handled that a lot better than he had in his first two years where he really forced things a lot. Um, so if they want to, if they want to run the offense through him and, you know, let him put up 18, 20 shots a game, I think it works. I mean, he's scoring 28 points on 20 shots a game. So yeah. I'd say keep, keep doing that until it stops working. I'd say he could lose three shots a game, and those three shots should all be three-pointers because he's averaging four so far, uh, which I'm not a fan of. He's shooting as many threes per game as Landry Shamit. He makes him more minutes, obviously, but still. Yeah, I don't love I don't love that part of his game. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, last night he hit the three in a row, right. um, and it was awesome. Yeah. And I love when he does that, but I kind of want that to be more of a gimmick to his like, – more of a an extra bonus if he's trailing a play in wide open. Right. Um, and I think that's mostly been what it is. Like, he doesn't camp out for threes, but it's just not a high-efficiency shot. I mean, at, at best, he's going three for five like he did last night. Yeah. And through the first two games, he went one for seven. Right. Um, ben Simmons also looked great. I mean, again, we don't know what the status of the injury is. Um, we'll know. Again, you probably know by the time you're listening to this. Um, and hopefully it's not bad enough. We have to have an emergency pod to talk about it more. Uh, but he's been looking great. I mean, in only 84 minutes because he didn't play. Um, he played, I think, literally like eight minutes uh, in the third game of the year. Um, 15 and a half points per 36 numbers just to average out. So it's not just, you know, he had four points, four rebounds or whatever in uh, the eight minutes he played yesterday. But uh, 15 and a half points, 12 rebounds, 9.9 assists per 36 minutes. So. Doing really well, um, attempting fewer shots just because there's more, the ball's going around more, and Bede's taking more shots. Fultz is there. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, still very impressed by, by Simmons. I don't think he's, has he attempted a jumper so far this year in any way? Any corner elbow joints? I don't uh, think so. Right? A, cu- a couple, a couple small, a couple small ones. Well, he took that one that was right, it was like a right handed turnaround hook yeah. that basically looked like a jumper. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, those are weird. I, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, nothing like nothing, nothing from outside. As far as I can remember, nothing from outside of like 14 feet, a few like little turn, right? Kind of the Fultz jumper where you're right. like in the paint and you kind of take what could be a floater, but it's a jumper. Yeah. Uh, Ben Simmons, I'm looking at his, his uh, basketball reference page right now. Last year, his, uh, average, the average distance of his shot attempt was 5.5 feet from the rim. Uh, this year, currently it is 4.8. So he's inching. Ever so closer. Uh, just for a little bit of reference, uh, Joel Embiid's average shot distance from the rim is 10 feet. So that's double of Ben Simmons's. So just like, you know, it's just kind of funny to think about that way. Well, well one thing, one thing I, I have been thinking that we, we haven't really talked about yet. With J.J. Redick, I, I'm feeling more and more like, um, regardless of how good Fultz is, 
moving forward and if he turns things around and kind of putting him aside, like how much do you think JJ Redick has made himself, uh, and I know he's 34 years old, but made himself like a really indispensable piece moving forward that like, I don't know, there's all the talk about what they're going to do in free agency next year. There's, you know, making a deal at the deadline. Like I'm kind of worried what happens in a world where they do make a trade for Jimmy Butler, let's say, or, uh, sign someone in the off season. Um, obviously if they get Durant or Clay Thompson or whatever, I'm I'm not concerned. But let's let's say in a world where they don't get that level player, but they get like a Chris Middleton type. Right. Um losing JJ Reddick, I think, is gonna be really huge. Yeah. And I'm kind of at a point where I don't know if I'm okay with that. No, it's one of those things where like even if you can't keep JJ and like you said he's thirty four, um, who knows how many more years will even play, how how many years he'll play at this level still. Um it's a way bigger deal than, you know, losing, say, all right, so let's use Dario for an example, right? Or even Robert Covington, right? You lose a player like that and you think, okay, well, we need to replace them with somebody on the roster, but they don't necessarily need to like fill every uh, slot that those guys filled up, right? Like if you're replacing Dario with a, with a four, you don't need, like, all right, well, you know, it's like, well, we need to replicate, you know, his, his shooting from distance, his rebounding, whatever. You can just get like a, another four who like is good, you know? JJ is going to leave such a specific hole in that lineup that you're going to have to replace. Not just it's not just oh let's get uh, you know we'll get like another really good two guard. You need that exact player, right? You need someone who can shoot off the screen, who can run off the screen like a madman and like make defenses go crazy and hit those threes. Like you're gonna you, he's becoming so indispensable to this style of play with this team that when he does leave, you're going to need to replace him with you know diet JJ Redick because the way this team works when he's hitting shots is the absolute ultimate pinnacle for what you want this team to be doing. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to find a way to not only like fill that roster spot, but fill it with as close to another version of JJ as you could possibly get if you can't keep JJ. And I feel like, you know, the, the obvious answer is you hope that Landry Shamit becomes that just because yeah. uh, there are a lot of similarities in their game and the way they uh, play off the ball and everything. But even if even in Landry Shamit's like best case scenario, um, which is he's a core player for a handful of years and, and plays that type of role. Um, I I mean, J.J. Reddick's one of the best shooters of all time, right? He's, he's established himself in that class. I don't know how you replace that, even if you're getting the most out of Landry Shamit, or even if you're, uh, you know, Kemba Walker is one of those guys you're signing, or you're able to trade for, uh, you know, someone in the mold of, uh, Danny Green, like I don't think those players, even the really good ones, fill that role in the same way. I don't think Kyle, Cor- like a Kyle Korver type, fills that role. I think yeah. what JJ Redick does is really specific, and he's one of the only guys in the league who can do that. And I, I almost feel like uh, I want to put more of a premium on keeping him than I thought I did heading into the season. I know they played three games; he's coming off of thirty-one points, so uh, obviously that's a little bit of a recency bias but i think i'm also just seeing how much of an impact he has and had felt that last year but i think these first three games and certainly last game like really illustrate that and i think mm-hmm. um especially given what Fultz is looks like afraid of what the team looks like without that player yeah i mean because when you if that shooting goes away and you know even if shamit like best case, i think best absolute best case scenario shamit becomes like a B minus JJ Redick, right? That's absolute best case scenario. Everything goes right. Um, even taking that step down is huge. Um, and, that's if, and that's if he becomes it by the end of this season 
or somebody else becomes that kind of player or they can grab somebody. But I mean, you can't replace, it's really hard to replace a guy who can do what he can do at the level that he can do it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. he's not as like, you wouldn't call him, you wouldn't call his, his, he's not dominant. You wouldn't call him dominant, but if you extend the definition of that word, he's absolutely a dominant player. You know, he does things from three that Joel Embiid does down low. He just completely drives defenders insane. He, can bury people he can take a game over he can do all the things that you think like you know these of these quote-unquote dominant players he just happens to do it while running around from behind the three-pointer line with his little alligator arms so yeah it's it's that is like more of like i mean the full thing obviously is number one on the list but like that's like number two on the list of like existential crises to have as a sixers fan is what to do with when jj reddick goes away i think it's gonna be interesting because you look at free agency and you look at the kind of guys they can acquire through trades. And I think um, with the exception of the two guys I mentioned, like, I don't know who fills that in the same way. Um, Even if you were able to, let's say get Kawhi Leonard, it's like a very different thing. He's a good shooter and he's a great scorer and great all around player, but like, and Jimmy Butler is a really good player. Um, I don't know if I want to pay him all that money, but even if you were able to just like swap JJ Redick and, uh, Jimmy Butler this year, like you're losing this. Obviously, J- Jimmy Butler's way better, but you're losing this, um, this style of play and this this X factor that I don't know how you replicate. Like, even even in a best case scenario where you're able to acquire a guy like that, I just think there's like three or four guys in the league, maybe a little bit more than that, like a handful who who have the kind of impact he's able to have off the ball coming around screens. Um, and I don't anticipate how the Sixers would get one of those guys. So I, I don't know. I guess it's maybe making me reevaluate. Obviously, if they're able to get one of the top level free agents, you, you just do it and you work with it. Um, but it's maybe make me reevaluate. Um, in my head, I, I, I've thought about JJ Redick certainly last season uh, or last off season this past summer. Thought of him as a fallback option. You know, mm-hmm. like if you miss out on the guys you want, um, and maybe even like the second tier guys, or you can't make a trade you go and you sign JJ Redick. And I'm kind of feeling like, unless they're going to get one of those top, top, top guys, I want to make room for JJ Redick, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I mean, he's a specialist, right? And and mm-hmm. when you have a specialist who can do the things that he can do at the level he can do them, you almost to a certain extent, ignore the date of birth on the driver's license, right? If they're playing well enough and they can still do it and you think they can still do it, he seems to be in incredible shape. Um, he'll be 35 for next year's season. Who knows what's going to happen the rest of this year. But when you have a specialist like that, I think the rules for how much you pay a person of a certain age might go out the window a little bit, right? Yeah. Because he's, he's there's like no the, one. He's like, good. No, there's, I would say there's no plug and play. There's no plug and play replacement for him. I don't think in the entire league, right? Other than like, other than like Clay Thompson, maybe. I'm a little I'm a little sad because I feel like the end is uh, it's going to be nearer than I want it to be. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, that's yeah, like that's an, that's a, a very important B plot. We're already looking at next off season, and we're three games into this season. <laughs> Max, I think this podcast might stink. Yeah, no, I, I kind of think this is one of our bad ones. Yeah, yeah, they're all bad ones, but this might be a bad one. I feel like we do our best pods when there's no basketball to talk about. Once there's yeah, basketball to talk about, hell. we're not really uh, – yeah, we're stupid as hell. You stupid have other outlets hell. to listen to basketball talk. Um, fewer yeah. outlets to hear bad takes about 80s movies, to hear yeah. um, 
stupid stuff about like uh what was it exonyms and uh endonyms i forget what and endonyms the airport codes once remember that that was forever ago but yeah we did that too that was a good podcast yeah anyway uh questions yeah so we have some twitter questions um i like to kill a cow uh asked why'd you come around me with an ass like that um uh from a star is born um for those who haven't seen it uh those who will understand what he's asking um uh paul roman asked after jd jd reddick's game versus the magic is it time to start him over Fultz or keep him on the bench which is something we kind of talked about um yeah uh, you know i i think i think for me it's like it doesn't really matter um uh, like I said, I think the, the more important thing is maximize. I think the more important thing is minimizing the the time on the floor that Simmons and Fultz are on. I, I think starting mm-hmm. JJ or having him come. I, I think JJ is just as effective playing with Fultz as the point guard as he is playing with Simmons as the point guard. Uh, just minus obviously the fact that Simmons is better right now than Fultz. But I think in terms of yeah. fit, it's similar. I think he's fine with TJ. Um, I like having him out there with Embiid. I think that seems to work well. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily like a him starting versus not starting thing. I think the bigger problem is Fultz and Simmons. But if it's just they're starting him yeah. and um, then from there they want to do whatever they do just so that they can say they started Fultz and not have it be a storyline when they when they bench him. Um, if they were to bench him, I'm I'm fine with that. I don't think it really makes much of a difference. Yeah, I think like the most um, harmless uh, let like susceptible to hot take um, thing that can happen is that you know. They leave the starting lineups as is for, you know, I don't know, maybe the first 15 games or so. And then say, like, Markel, like, sprains his wrist or, like, someone stepped on his foot and he misses, like, a game or two. And then when he comes back, they just, like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, his, his ankle's still sore. We're going to keep an eye on him. And then he starts coming off the bench and they just kind of leave it like that. Go back to the old starting lineup from last year and kind of leave it like that. Um, not, I'm not saying they need to, like, secretly bench him or anything, but I think if that was to happen that way, it'd be, like, the less hot takey version. But I think I'm, I'm with you. I mean, we the lineup from last year, which we talked about, the five man lineup, is a proven commodity. We know what it does. We know how good it is, and you know, three games just isn't enough to figure that out yet. With the, with the Markel Fultz at this point last year, that that quote unquote last year starting five hadn't started a game like that yet. They hadn't that starting five hadn't debuted yet. You know, Fultz was still in there. Jared Bayless was fucking starting games, so th- there's some time because they they established that starting five. They came together. They grew as a team and they became like this really, really great lineup. But it took some time. They weren't even playing together um, at this point last year. So uh, I could see it happening. I don't think it's necessary right now. And I don't see it happening soon, I think is the the really short way to say the answer. And when I went the long way around. Well, I, I'm going to move on to I, I agree with you. I think I think if, the, if they were going to do it, I especially agree with this part. If they're going to do it, I think it needs to be. Uh, they need to be able to kind of mask it in a way. I think it would yeah. be too much of a story. It would be like, you know, top of NBA Reddit. It would be all over Twitter. It would be what they talk about when the team is playing on national television. Like, I just think it's not it's not good for him. I mean, I think really it's not good for him. They started him. I think they should have just brought him along slowly and let the pressure not be on him. Um, mm-hmm. And to start him, I thought was the wrong move for that reason. But now that they've done it, it's hard to go back on that unless you have some excuse, uh, which they don't really have. Um, I'm going to move yeah. on to another question that I, I don't love the player he mentions, but I think this is an interesting thing for us to talk about. 
DFB9390 on Twitter asked, uh, with the Suns needing a point guard, if they offered you TJ Warren for Markel Fultz, would you agree to the trade? Um, no. I don't love that because I just don't think TJ Warren's anything special and he's already on his second contract and he's 25, but it, I, I, did, I think TJ Warren's kind of like not at that level of player, but I think it rate, the question really is, are you at a point where you would accept a like good veteran player who you thought was going to be on your team for a while for Markel Fultz and, you know, kind of accept that it's a sunk cost. Um, and I no, think no, I'm not there for yet. Me, I'm, yeah. I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I'm, cl- I'm closer to there. I'm closer to there than I've, ever been and i think it's not for td warren it and it, but i'm not at the point where i was before where it would be like you'd have to blow me away with some superstar level player like i mm-hmm. would be more okay with it being um you know, again this is someone i don't want because of his age the injuries and the contract situation but if you were able to put a package uh together that would get you a player like jimmy butler but not him because i think we've talked about why i don't really love jimmy butler for this team but like, I guess in the past, I would have said it's not worth trading Fultz for that right now because Fultz could be better than that. Um, I'm more and more feeling like he could be better than that, but I would take the guaranteed good, especially no. I think the fact that Embiid and Simmons have been so, so good um, and Embiid especially just look awesome. It makes me feel like you don't necessarily need Fultz to become James Harden or to become Damian Lillard uh, to succeed. Yeah, I'm somewhere. I mean, I don't think he's a sunk cost. I wouldn't go that far yet. Um, but he's certainly not untouchable. He's somewhere in the wide gulf between those two points. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't know what kind of value he has around the league either. I have absolutely no idea. Um, so that's really hard to kind of to judge too, because I don't, I, I just can't imagine his value is like literally anything, right? It can't be like it's I don't see what well, it's similar to Embiid a few years ago. It's like he's just untradeable for that reason. No, I don't think so, because Embiid's concern was injury. And you're like, oh, but if he ever gets healthy, oh, man, like we know what kind of player he is. Maybe they could be this good, but like, oh, my God. But Markel's not hurt. And this is the kind of player he is. It's not like, oh, once his shoulder's better, he'll be back to the way he was in college. Like. That's not the case. So mm-hmm. I just have absolutely no idea what his value is around the league. And I'm sure it's a lot different to a lot of different teams, to a lot of different GMs, but I just have no idea what it could possibly be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not at the point where I think they just need to dump him or anything. I just, I am more like that. I think Drew Holiday was a name that came up before and I don't, I wouldn't do full straight up for Drew Holiday, but if you were getting a player of Drew Holiday's like level of talent, um, and I think in that case, I would probably want more than that. But like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm out of the mindset like I was, the mindset I was in before, which is like if you're get if you're giving up Fultz, even though you're not going to get this because he hasn't, you know, uh, shown anything yet. Like I was at the point where it needs to be for a player who can, uh, you know, like a player who either could become as good as I think Fultz could be, like a Donovan Mitchell is in that category, or, uh, you know. Jason Tatum is in that category. I just, I think at this point, it's, I don't know. I'd be, be more open to, let's say, like, you know, here, here's a great one. I, I'd be open to a Fultz for CJ McCollum trade much more than I would have been this summer. This summer, I would have said no because I want to see what Fultz is. Right now, if you like put a gun to my head and said CJ McCollum for Fultz, I think I, 
I think I do it. I don't. I think I don't think Portland would give you CJ McCollum's left shoe for Markel Fultz. I don't think they would either. I think I, I I agree that the value is not there. I just think this summer I would have said no to that because I thought Fultz could be much better than that, mm. and I don't feel that way. Not that I don't think it's possible. Just that I am more okay with a just give me something right. that I know is something. Yeah, that makes sense. But again, I think that has a lot to do with how good Embiid and Simmons look, right. and that I think. Uh, a CJ McCollum level player could be your third star and you could be okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As the Sixers. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. I feel like people are going to be upset with that, <laughs> but it's, I don't know. That's how I feel about it at this point. Send all your yelling and hate mail to Max. I didn't say anything bad. I'm just hanging out, man. I didn't say shit. So this is funny. Um, moving on to another question. Vitor Mello um, asked, pick five uh, Sixers to fight in a game. And who would be the first sixer to throw a punch? Okay, wait, hold on. Say that again. You're kind of picking like a starting five, like a a five man crew to go into battle with. Okay, and I can and like of and, that and, crew who would be the most likely to throw the first punch. Okay, well, huh, let's see. All right, I'm gonna pick. Um, I mean, we've seen Simmons get in people's faces a bit. We've seen them be getting people's faces a bit. So they're both there. Um, Reddick chirps a lot, man. So JJ's in yeah. there. I feel like Amir might throw down, and he's got long arms. So I put Amir in there, and then I, I don't know TJ. I think TJ would like sneakily, like, like come come from behind, like slide through Amir's legs and punch you in the gut. I'm like, ha ha, got you. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I I can't look. I'm looking at this on it right now. I don't. There's there's. I don't see a fighter on this team. I don't see unless Corkmoss. I, like, I kind like, of agree. Like a secret assassin, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I feel like I've, the Sixers have like a very uh, passive or pacifistic uh, starting starting five and just yeah. roster in general. Like, I don't know of this group. I, I would probably say like I don't know Amir Johnson or like maybe TJ or JJ. But again, like not really. Like none of them really seem like fighters. Um, I don't really see Embiid that way. Like, I definitely don't see Ben Simmons or Marco Fultz that way. Yeah. Jared Bayless like uh, retweets uh, New York Times articles all the time. I don't really see him like throwing down in a in a fight. Yeah, I mean maybe Mascala. He could throw his suit jacket on the floor and come onto the floor. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I look, I look at it this way too, right? So. Um... JJ went to Duke and he's been yelled at by people his entire career. And he's like, he's never fought anybody. Uh, Covington's never changed his facial expression while on the floor. Embiid talks a lot. And like, if someone, if I I think if someone like shoved Embiid, he would just laugh at them mostly. Um, I don't know. Landry Shamit cooks a lot. Maybe he's like got crazy knives. Cause maybe he stabbed somebody a little bit. <laughs> I don't know, but Fultz is the sleepiest man on the planet. It looks like, like he, I don't think he would, I can't see him getting fired enough to fight anybody. Uh, Dario would do a lot of yelling and I think he'd be, I think Dario might be like the hold me back guy a little bit, like low key. Yeah. He's the whole, totally. he's the hold me back guy a little bit. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think like on the entire roster, the one most likely to be like, Oh, fuck you. And actually throw a punch. I feel like it might be a mirror, but it's like a 2% chance. And I don't even know why I feel that about a mirror. Amir just seems like he doesn't screw around. He's just like, nah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not playing around with you. So I would give him like a 2% chance, but even that is not 
not too high. This team would get its ass kicked in a fist fight. I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, NBA G League guru um, asked, and this is his uh, display name, uh, asked, could Dario's poor three-point shooting at all be attributed to court dimension differences from FIBA play? Last year, he shot similarly poorly in the early going and improved as the season went on. May he just need some time to adjust the three-point line that's about a foot further. Yeah. I mean, I think he said as much so himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Um, he said as much so himself, I think, after last night's game, he said, um, in, in whatever, paraphrasing, but he said something like, you know, it, it takes a second to readjust to the game, right? Game speed, size of the players, you know, positioning, uh, you know, space on the floor, timing, people, you know, closing out on you. It's different from FIBA ball. And you get used to playing FIBA ball over the summer, and then you come back, and you're like, oh, shit, it's a little faster here. The guys close out quicker. I need to, you know, time my my footing better and, and be, you know, oh, yeah, right, that's right. The rim's a little bit further away. And it's always a slow start for him. I think partly because of that, partly maybe he's just a slow start. Maybe he's just fine his legs a little bit. But, yeah, I think I looked at it. I wish I could find the tweet. Um, but, yeah, he, he starts slow, it seems, every year. Um, I think his rookie year was really hard because he was just adjusting wholly to the NBA game. He got called for a travel like 45 times when you would start moving before putting the ball on the floor immediately, um, which a lot of European players do because they don't call that in Europe typically. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly it. It's just an adjustment. Um, and oh, here we go. Yeah. I tweeted this uh, on October 10th. Dario's slow preseason doesn't worry me since he's typically a slow starter. Last year, he shot 33.3% from three and 356 from the floor in October. Uh, and 388 from three and 479 from the floor in December. Mm. So I think somewhere in like the early, early to mid-November is when he finds his legs a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about it. That doesn't concern me. If, it's, if he's still shooting 28% from three in December, then it's concerning, but I'm not worried about it. And I think that's exactly the reasoning too. I think that I think that was hit directly in the head. Yeah, I, I think um, it's like like you said, it's less the distance change from the NBA, from the FIBA three pointer, the NBA three pointer, more that like his game is so different um, when he plays for Croatia or he did, does any of the FIBA play. Um, he's just yeah. asked to do different things. The players he's going against, especially in like the European games, are just like. Like he just looks so much more athletic. I remember thinking, I was watching like his highlights this summer. Like, did he get like, did he like gain a step? Like, he looks a little bit faster. He's like, no, he's just like no. driving on Nemanja Bjelica and not, you know, uh, someone with any kind of foot speed. So, like, of course, he looks faster because he's faster right. than every big man uh, that he's playing against. Uh, so, I think I think it's more the adjustment to that, yeah, and, and then he's asked to yeah. do a different thing. He's not like playmaking as much. He's more spot. He's spotting up a lot more. Um, and I think you saw that too, like yeah. in uh, for FS when he played in Turkey, like there was an adjustment and he got better and better in that role. But his role with FS is more like what he does for the Sixers. And that took him a little while to, to like adjust to that. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly right. And it's, it's not even yeah, like this is style of play. It's there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and I just think that give him uh, a couple of weeks couple of weeks max, I'd say. And uh, I'll be back to old, old Dario that we know and love. I think that's basically it. That was all the questions we had. Um, Sixers play Tuesday and Wednesday this coming week. 
so look for a podcast. Mm-hmm. You think Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, something like that? Maybe. Yeah, around there. Around there. Yeah, maybe. Around there. We'll see. I have I have another I have another week of two weddings this oh, week. Oh so. man. How do you still have weddings in late October? Everybody out there. I want to tell everybody out there who's listening, if we are friends, don't invite me to your wedding. I have been to too many. And that includes you, Max. I'm not going to your wedding. Yeah. It's your you're this is how I'm you're telling a you. popular guy. You're well liked. I am the opposite of that. I'm just well known by people who personally know me and invite me to things for some stupid reason. Well, and then I have two in December now too. I'm a plus one and two in December. God, we're going to have a podcast, which is me complaining about having to do things socially. That's our next one. It sounds better than honestly than than this podcast. <laughs> we'll have a podcast where I just like complain about like people texting me saying like, Hey, what do you do? And then I just go, Oh God, I have to respond to this person now. Can I just lay on my couch and not talk to anybody? <laughs> This is, a, this is a real humble brag. I wish people texted me, hey, what are you doing? Nobody even texts me. Well, you moved across the country, man. What do you expect? It's true. Also, it's just the same two people that text me that, and I just don't respond to them. And I hope they don't listen to the podcast. Well, I mean, they know that I don't respond to them because I don't respond. I'm just bad. At, I don't know, man. I'm not, I don't like, you're, come on, you're not my therapist. I don't want to get into this. <laughs> But just don't text me. Right, let's end the podcast. Don't text me. Let's get off of here. Don't call me and listen to my podcast. <laughs> That's good, right? That's a good right. tagline. That's a good tagline now. Okay. Let's, 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 uh, let's get off. All right. Yeah. Thanks all for right. listening. Hey, guys. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Bye. Bye. <laughs>